You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. John 5, beginning verse 1. After this, a Jewish festival took place, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. By the Sheep Gate in Jerusalem, there is a pool called Bethesda, in Hebrew, which has five colonnades. Within these lay a large number of the sick, blind, lame, and paralyzed. Now, I want to pause for a minute. Now, remember we said last week that when John wrote his gospel, he's very particular in his language. Notice he doesn't just say, and there were the sick, and move on. He specifies the sick. There's a reason why John, when he wrote his gospel by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, specified the things that he did. There's a reason why he says what he says. There's something to get. There's something to see. There's something to hear. There's something to feel as the world of the Scripture opens up before us and invites us into a different way of being and seeing in this world. So he says, within a large number of the sick, the blind, lame, and paralyzed. Say that with me. Blind, lame, and paralyzed waiting for the moving of the water because an angel would go down into the pool from time to time and stir up the water. Then the first one who got in after the water was stirred recovered from whatever ailment he had. One man who was there had been sick for 38 years. Say 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and knew he had already been there a long time, say a long time, he said to him, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? Sir, the sick man answered, I don't have a man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, someone goes down ahead of me. Get up, Jesus told him. Pick up your mat and walk. Instantly the man got well, picked up his mat, started to walk. We read about a guy that I'm increasingly convinced, gets a bad rap in church conversations and in sermons. For one, his particular life and this story gets bound up in a theological discourse that takes place in verses 10 through 14 about some things that Jesus says to him, and we miss the story. For two, I think this man gets brushed off as a bit whiny, complainy. Is complainy a word? Complainy. But I got to tell you, if I'm him, I'm thinking I would have been a bit whiny too. You could ask my wife, she can tell you. For 38 years, this man hasn't walked. 38 years. And at some point in his life, he hears about this sort of fountain of youth where all the sick folk go to get healed. And rumor has it that an angel comes down Into the pool stirs the water, and according to the text, the first one that gets into the pool wins. And I would like to avoid, just for sake of the story, the theological conjecture as to whether or not it's really an angel, or whether or not it was just a pool that was associated with a stream of water that had medicinal properties. We can suspend our Western and enlightened minds just for a moment to let the text wash over us. That would be good. Because bottom line, the system here is the problem. There's a system problem. It's how healing takes place. See, he can't 
move as quickly as the others. And as a result, he never gets in, and he leaves the same way he came. Now, I realize that the text doesn't tell us how many times this man has attempted to get into the pool, but I'd imagine this isn't his first try. I would think that over the course of 38 years of suffering, and interesting to note that John wants us to know the number of years he has suffered. Over 38 years that he had been here at least a few times before. Yet time after time, he goes to this place and he is reminded of his inability to get the healing he desperately longed for. He is reminded time after time after time that he is incapable of changing his own situation. And here's where I like this guy. That even though over the course of 38 years, I have to believe that this man should kept coming and kept coming and kept coming and then kept leaving and kept leaving and kept leaving the same way he was coming, that on this day, he still showed up. And I ask you, what if the day was the day that he would have just said, no, I'm done. I've been there 12 times and everybody walks over me Everybody goes around me. Everybody gets there before I do. I have gone time after time after time after time, and I never get healed. So today I'm just sick, and I'm tired, and I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired, and I'm not going to go anywhere. I'm going to stay home. What would have happened that day? He would have missed Jesus. And I wouldn't have blamed him. I mean, if we'd have been sitting there with him, we'd have been like, bro, I don't blame you at all. You've been there 17 times. And you've asked and you tried to flag people to help you in. You just got to get down some steps and nobody wants to help you out. Stay on home. System's broken. We might have said that's all right. But what if he'd have said no? What if on this day he'd allowed his previous experience with all those other selfish people to turn him into a cynic? to turn him into a cynic. Say a cynic. People are what people are. Throw his hands up in the air. Never going to change. It's always going to be the same. What if he'd have thrown his own pity party? And would have just laid there and said, I'm not going. You could have pep-talked him all day. He's done it I don't know how many times. What if the day was the day that he'd have decided not to go? What if the day was the day that he'd allowed all his disappointment, his sadness, his failure, and downright tiredness to get the best of him? What if the day was the day where he would have not said yes to going? If he would have not said yes to going to the pool, he would have not been able to receive the yes that Christ was willing to give him. Even if it's just a week whispering, quivering, yes. It's a yes. A yes to new possibilities. A yes to hope. A yes 
for the possibilities that God is at work. A yes, a weak, whispering, quivering yes. Yes can change everything. And whether or not my reading of the text has any contextual merit or not, I'll let you be the judge. But the very thought of this text messes with me because I have been at many places in my life where I have wanted to say no. There are times when my inability to change a situation calls me to want to give up. There are times when people demonstrate actions so far from what they claim, like they stab you in the back, they talk about you, they troll you, they do whatever they got to do to try and get at you. There have been so many times where I've just wanted to say I'm done. There are times when I wanted to throw my hands up in the air and say no. And then I think of this guy, and I'm grateful that he whines like me. I'm grateful that he complains like me, that he is discouraged like me, because then he looks at me and says, keep showing up. And that day he said yes. And even though to Jesus who asked him, do you want to be made well? He gave all kinds of reasons why it wasn't going to happen. The fact that he said yes that day to go to the pool gave him an opportunity to answer the question that Jesus asked in the first place. One thing's for sure, if he hadn't shown up, he would have never heard the question because he'd have never seen Jesus. And he would have left that place weighed down, pressed down. Dragging on the ground the same way in which he came. But because he said yes, the things that weighed him down lifted him up and he walked out of there. Whatever it was that carried his heart, he released it. See, I've come to learn that our hearts are a lot like a closet. That in every heart there is a closet. And all the things that happen to us in life get thrown into our hearts. The trauma, the disappointment, the failure, the not good enough, the always having something to prove, the failed marriages, the death, the sicknesses, the divorces, the past that we can't escape and fully feel forgiveness from, the social and systemic isms of pervade our society. All these things that just get thrown into our hearts. And that's what we do. They get thrown into our hearts. And what we do is we take those things, we throw them into our hearts, and we throw them into this closet. And we pile them and pile them and pile them and pile them and pile them. And it piles up and we shut the door. But we can't just shut it. We got to shut the door, right? Like there's so much stuff in there and we got to push the door. And we're just tired of always pushing the door too. And what happens, inevitably happens, is because we just hide from these things, because that's what we do. We don't want to talk about race. We don't want to talk about class. Don't want to talk about addiction. Don't want to talk about politics. Don't want to talk about death. Don't want to talk about sickness. So we just throw it in the closet. We throw it there. And eventually, like every other thing that happens in this world, eventually the closet door busts open and it all comes spilling out. And we're just left there on the ground, sometimes in tears, picking back up the trauma and putting it in, picking back up the disappointment and throwing it in, picking back up all the down times and all the oppressed times and all the hurt times and all the broken times and throwing it in. And just again, we close that door shut, hoping this time it'll stick. But inevitably what happens every single time is the weight of all the junk busts the door wide open and it comes flowing out again. And Jesus looks at us and says, do you want to be made well? 
Because we come to church every week or maybe every other week or maybe once a month. I don't know. And every time we do, every time we come to the table, Jesus says, do you want to be made well? And see, the thing we don't realize about this little closet is when we say, I don't know, that is a no. When we say maybe later, that's still a no. When we say not right now, that is still a... When we say, I don't know, that's still a... But if for some reason we can just with a weak, whispering, quivering, yes. then Jesus does what he's promised to do. Now, the Bible calls that obedience. Do you want to love your enemies? You don't understand our enemies. Well, that's a no. Do you want to love your enemies? Well, what if they blow us up? That's a no. Do you want to see equality? Well, we don't really have a problem. That's a no. Do you want to see for, you want to feel forgiven? Well, you don't understand. Well, then that's a no. But if we can come somehow to this place in our life with a weak, whispering, quivering, and give God a yes, then Jesus does what He says He'll do. And so stay with me in the image. Then what Jesus does is He gets on His knees with us as we are at the foot of the closet of our hearts. And you know what He does? He opens the door. And we tell Him, no, 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 don't open the door. And He opens the door. And it all just comes flooding out. But this time, we're not the ones that's going to pick up the pieces. You with me? This time, Jesus takes the trauma and He hands it to us. And He says, here. We say, I don't want it. He says, no, no, you need to take it because if you don't own it, it's going to own you. He says, take it. And we take it and we look at it. And we weep and we ache. And then Jesus looks at us and says, all right, enough. Set it down over here. And we set it down. And one by one, the disappointment, the failure, he hands it to us. We look at it. We put it aside. And he sorts it through. And that's hard work. That's recovery. That's healing. That's confession. That's repentance. Come on, say it with me. Say, that's confession. That's repentance. That's obedience. That's a hard process doing that work. But Jesus is with us the whole time. And what we don't realize, see, here's the best part. When we're doing that with Jesus, all of a sudden we look up and we look into heart. We look into our heart and in the closet of our heart, there's new shelves. And what we don't realize is while Jesus was helping us sort it out, the Holy Spirit was remodeling our hearts. And He replaced the old shells with new ones, and He tightened up the bolts, and he, he firmed it all up. And we look in there and we go, there's a lot more room in this than I thought there was. And we think that Jesus is going to say, now discard the trauma and discard the disappointment, discard the abuse, discard, throw away the cancer, throw away the disease, throw away the... And Jesus, he doesn't say that. You know what Jesus says? Jesus says, now I want you to take it and I want you to put it at the top shelf. Because it's got to be a part of our lives because it is. You don't get over loss. You don't get over hurt. You might get over the power it has on you, but it still stays with you. And what you do with it makes all the difference in the world. If you own it, it won't own you. But if you don't own it, it will own you. And so we put it at the top shelf. And you know what Jesus says with that? Jesus says, now check it now. At some point, I'm going to ask you to step up there and get it because I, I need you to bear witness. I'm a witness. How'd I go? I'm a witness. I don't know it now. Get one. Go? <laughs> Come on, no, no. That's the part that's been sticking out with me in those two services. Somebody's singing. Come on. That's it. 
I'm a witness. That's it. That's what it is. And he says, you're a witness that I can heal trauma. I need you to pull it off the top shelf. And so we put it up there. We put it where it belongs. Remember this, Aaron? We put it on the shelf of our heart. We find where it belongs. Because it's there. We no longer hide from it. We don't explain it away. But it no longer owns us. And what we see is all this room, eye level in our hearts, that's empty. And then Jesus looks at us and says, now do you want to be made well? But here's the thing. If we don't say yes, then we could miss our miracle. And if we think by saying yes, it's going to happen overnight, then we don't understand the rest of the story. 38 years, this man kept saying yes. And then on year 38, on that day, he met his miracle and he walked out. What are you going to say? What is God asking you to do? Because I don't know, that's a no. If it's not yet, that's a no. If it's not right now, that's a no. If it's a, I'm not ready yet, then that is a no. But if, with a whisper and a quiver, as hard as it may be, you can say, yes. God will do what He's promised to do. That's called Christianity. See, Paul put it this way. Paul to the Corinthian church said, I was so sure of your understanding and trust that I wanted to give you a double blessing by visiting you twice, first on my way to Macedonia and again when I returned from Macedonia, then you could send me on my way to Judea. You may be asking why I changed my plan. Do you think I make my plans carelessly? Do you think I am like people of the world who say yes when they really mean no? Now that'll preach. As surely as God is faithful, our word to you does not waver between yes and no. For Jesus Christ, the Son of God, read it with me, does not waver between yes and no. Jesus ain't like, I don't know. He is the one whom Silas, Timothy, and I preach to you as God's ultimate, say it with me. Yes, as God's ultimate, say it with me. As God's ultimate, what? And He always does what He says for all of God's promises. How many of God's promises? How many again? In the Greek, the word all means all. All of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ. Now listen to Paul. Paul's writing this out, and he's trying to find language. And he's like, with a yes. And he scratches that out, and he gets another page. And he said, no, it's got to be. With a resounding what? Yes. And through Christ, our what? Amen. Which means what? Ascends to God for His glory. It is God who enables us. Say, enables us. Along with you to stand firm for Christ, He has commissioned us and has identified us as His own placing the Holy Spirit in our hearts. The Holy Spirit where? As the what? 
first installment that guarantees everything He has promised us. What Paul says here, he says about you and me somewhere else. See, when I came to confess that Jesus was Lord, was baptized into Christ, the Holy Spirit was installed. There was a down payment. There was a deposit made in my life. A first fruits. I got all kinds of words for you that come from the New Testament about this. God made a deposit and He said, I'm buying that. That's mine. And God deals beautifully with that which He loves. And that is His yes to you. There's no I don't know. If you get an I don't know, that's of the devil. That's not of God. That's you maybe think, that, that may, maybe you being too smart for God. Too. You know, because God doesn't know what I know. For as many as the promises of God in Him, they are yes. Yes to all that He has done. Yes to all that He has promised. Yes that we are never alone, abandoned, or forsaken. Yes that we have become sons and daughters of God and made one with one another as the family of God called the church. Yes that we have to call sin, sin. Yes that we call grace, grace. Yes that we've been made citizens of a kingdom that is never fickle, never going to fail, never frail, and never going to be in trouble. When all other kingdoms are footnotes in the pages of history, the kingdom of God will stand and we are citizens of it because God has said yes. So when you ask yourself the question, does God want me? God's answer in Christ is? When you say, will he welcome me? God's answer in Christ is? When you say, can I be forgiven for all I've done? All those things that I have done? God's answer in Christ is what? Come on, say it like you mean it. Can God redeem all that has happened to me in my past? The answer to that in Christ is? Is it possible to find peace? God's answer in Christ is? Is there more life, more to life than this? Is there more to life than a fine car and a fine spouse with fine children and a fine house? God's answer in Christ is what? Is there any hope that two congregations can bear witness to the oneness of Christ if they're willing to do the hard work of saying yes, God's answer in Christ is a resounding yes. Yes, we are loved. Yes, we are known. But yes, you've got to decide what your answer is. Because if you say you're not ready, it's still a no. And I don't want you to miss your miracle. Jesus is here. Listen, listen to me. Today, you're here. You heard this today. You could have been anywhere else. What is God asking you? He's asking you something. You're not here to warm a seat. He is here to light a fire in your heart. What are you going to say? See, every week we gather, we gather at this table. And we say yes. So I was, um, I was interviewed by Tessa. Y'all remember Tessa because it was part of what she had to do with her internship with 3E. And she had to interview me about some particular things. And part of the interview was that she had to ask me like all these professional questions. Um, like, uh, you know, how I, all right, y'all see this? How I started 3E, how I have done the things that I've done and how I've accomplished all the things that I've accomplished. And, and I could have given her all these rudimentary sort of answers, right? But here's the truth of my life. I'm just an accident. 
Like for real. Like I think back, my mom and dad used to tell me I was an accident. So I'm pretty sure that I've been an accident from birth, like from, like from life. Like I'm an accident. Everything I've ever done is I've stumbled into it. My wife stumbled into her because I can't get that. Like I stumbled into her. God confused her mind and she said yes. Like, like I've stumbled, I stumbled into Williamsburg, Virginia. Like I was looking for, we were trying to get out of the mega church thing and wanted to get back more toward this side of the map. And um, Williamsburg, Virginia saw this ad and looked at it and then was drawn to Williamsburg, tried to put it away, but still drawn to Williamsburg. Is looking at doing another thing, a church plant thing that I was drawn to. And I thought maybe our family was drawn to. And, and I was looking back at Williamsburg and started doing some study. And there was, Williamsburg just kept nagging at me. And my dad asked me, he said, well, who do you know in Williamsburg? I said, Jesus, that's it. I don't know anybody else in Williamsburg. But I mean, that's all I knew. And, and, then, and then the same thing with, with three, like this, this impulse of what God was doing. All of these things, all of these things were hard, whispering, quivering yeses. And it was those yeses that has become bigger than I've ever imagined. I never thought that I'd be a part of a church that actually takes Jesus seriously enough to give our life away to the degree that we are learning how to do. It just took a yes. You got to say yes. There's no better yes to say. Chantel said yes, didn't you, Chantel? She's getting baptized into Christ today. Come on, give it. It's time to say yes. And every week we get together, we come to the table of the Lord for the bread and for the wine, for the body and the blood of Jesus. And we are saying yes to God's yes. And when we can't say yes to God's yes, then you need to know that when you take the bread and you take the cup and you're saying, I don't know, God's looking at you saying, but I said yes. So what are you scared of? God has said, yes, listen, it isn't going to be easy. It's going to be hard. Say it's going to be hard. But you're not alone. Say I'm not alone. Because Christ is with me. And so are you. We're in it together. As we come to the table, as we are led to the table in song, side by side, to Jesus Christ, who is the gracious host of the bread and the wine, the body and the blood, His body and blood. Listen to the Spirit of God within you and decide what your answer will be. And then receive God's yes and go live out your answer. Because you just can't make an answer here, otherwise this just becomes a spiritual pep rally. It's got to look like something when you leave. Trust that the Lord would not call you to something He will not walk you through.